it's very hard to get any kind of funding. There's very little brain, there's very little research done on sexuality. You know, it's very, very difficult to get funding because there's a lot of uh, uh, governmental opposition. You know, it's not something right. that's considered to be a waste of money, a waste of taxpayer money. But I really, I really think that if we have to understand pleasure, uh, we have to study what pleasure is just as a phenomenon because, um, you know, there are so many things that, you know, it could be the, a clue to understanding how to overcome depression. An and addiction. overcome addiction. Yeah, certainly. So how to control it in, in, in constructive ways. So, you know, I think there's a real need for it. And sexuality is, utilizes, it's, it's, it's like a, it's a good legal case study for, for studying the phenomenon of pleasure. Hi there, Neurohacker community. Welcome to episode number 58 of our podcast. On our show today, we have Dr. Barry Kamizaruk, a neuroscientist who studies brain activity during sexual response and orgasm. We wanted to find out what happens in the brain when we orgasm, and we found out so much more. It turns out when we orgasm, every part of our brain is activated. So why do we have them anyways, and why does pleasure matter? Stay tuned to find out. Before we jump in, I wanted to thank all of our listeners for participating in our show. We read every comment you leave on our site and social media and appreciate all of the feedback and wisdom you add to the conversations we're sparking through this podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people to find the podcast so we can continue to grow and share more episodes with you. If you didn't know already, one of the other things we do in the collective is create supplements for better cognition, better aging, and more energy. If you're looking for any or all of that, go to neurohacker.com to learn more. And as our gift to you, we're offering an additional 15% off your first order using the code PODCAST58. Without further ado, let's jump into the show. Here's Heather and Barry. Barry, welcome to the show. It's so exciting to have you here because we are going to talk about sex. We're going to get real about all of the nitty gritty on the physiology, the science, the, the psychology that goes into whether or not we enjoy sex. So I first saw you on The Big Think and I was really enthralled as a scientist, as a clinician, in how you talked about the physiology and what's going on in our bodies when we have an orgasm. Can you break that down for us? Um, well, it's basically uh, all systems are go. It's, a, it's a generally uh, general activation, uh, increased heart rate, blood pressure, uh, perspiration, uh, muscle tension, um, and um, uh, uh, hormone secretion, oxytocin. Uh, uh, what we find in the brain is that uh, basically all systems are activated uh, in the brain. Um, and so th th there are many different uh, physiological effects uh, all under, under the control of the brain. So there's a, a multiplicity of, of uh, systems that are activated, uh, mainly the sympathetic uh, division of the autonomic system. Is, is activated. Um, so uh, the uh, not only the heart rate and blood pressure increase, but the pupils dilate. Um, uh, pain sensitivity is uh, dramatically decreased. Um, although touch remains uh, equally sensitive, which is an interesting differential effect. That is fascinating. Um, and the muscle tension. Uh, I, I like to think of orgasm 
as uh, as a special case. There, we're familiar with uh, a sneeze, a yawn, and a stretch, and they all have a similar characteristic of a, of a buildup of tension, especially muscle tension, and then a resolution, a, a, a climax and a resolution. And this a same a sneeze is like that. Uh, you feel the buildup of, of muscle tension and something is, is happening, a buildup of excitation, and then a, a release. And uh, a, a, a yawn is, is similar, and a stretch, the buildup of, of tension in the muscles, and then a relaxation. These feel good. It feels good to do that. And uh, an orgasm, I think, is a, a special case of the more general case of the orgasmic process in the body. This pattern of tension and then resolution. Right. Interesting. And it's a basic physiological mechanism of, uh, that, that we know that uh, when, when you have more, you, uh, it's called recruitment, more and more nerve cells become activated. Um, the, tension, the, uh, the excitation increases, the muscle tension that is produced by the increased sensation uh, increases. And then it gets to a point where uh, it's self-limiting, so it triggers an inhibitory mechanism, so it doesn't go, go too high. Um, and this is a general principle. There are general principles in of, of the nervous system. You know, if if you if you hold your arm out and and a, a very heavy weight suddenly drops on it, you suddenly release it because there's a, a very high intensity stimulus triggers its own inhibition. The the uh, the inhibitor. We have uh, uh, half of the uh, neuron, half of the uh, neurotransmitters in the nervous system are inhibitory. So we have inhibition is extremely important in in uh, brain function because that enables us to be to make smooth, graceful movements as opposed to spastic movements. If we don't have inhibition, then the movements are very spastic. So. Inhibition is a basic phenomenon, and if the excitation reaches peak levels, it triggers the the inhibitory systems, which are, which have a, a higher threshold to be activated. So once with a high level of excitation, we have the inhibition, and that's that produces the relaxation. And it's a general principle. It's in reflexes. It's in sneezing, and in, in yawning, and stretching and in orgasm. So you're talking about these principles as applied to the nervous system and inputs into the nervous system. In this day and age, with all of the inputs into our nervous system, do you think that's having an effect on people's sexual health? We've got phones and social media and you know billboards and just these constant working and parenting, you know, everything that people have on their plates these days. Do you think that's affecting our nervous system and our ability to enjoy sex? Well, it certainly produces distractions, and um, uh, so yeah, yeah, I guess to the to the to the, uh, to the extent that uh, we're so distracted by so many different uh, stimuli, um, it, um, we we get distracted from sexual stimuli. To some, I mean, I but uh, I mean, I I don't know if. Uh, if that's a pathology, if it's a social pathology, uh, just uh, 
uh, when it comes time to pay attention to sexual stimuli, we pay attention to sexual stimuli, well, unless so, we're distracted by, by all these other things. So speaking of sexual stimuli, um, worldwide, I understand that pornography is worth like $57 billion do- um, in every year, like just enormous amounts of money are spent on pornography. So there's a huge amount of consumption of sexual stimuli. What do you think that effect has on our, our sex lives? Um, wow. That's a, uh, I get, well, in some ways, I mean, it can have multiple, it can, it can get people more and more focused on, on sexuality, uh, more and more, um, uh, g- giving people ideas about different ways of uh, uh, expressing sexuality. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I suppose it can also uh, produce um, anxieties uh, in uh, performance anxiety that, uh, you know, if they have, if they select uh, uh, particularly uh, hypersexual people for the, for the pornographic uh, images um, and, and, um, you know, uh, uh, hyper hyper stimuli, you know, hyper sexual stimuli, large breasts, large large uh, butt, and and uh, uh, performing uh, different sexual acts that are uh, not usual that are not usual. Uh, these kinds of things, um, people can maybe uh, expect that of their partner, and the partners don't want to do that, and that can lead to anxiety and and hostility and anger, frustration. So, I mean, it, it, it's, uh, uh, it just, uh, it, it opens up a Pandora's box. I mean, I, maybe there are good parts and bad parts. It just, it just makes sexuality a more, more, um, uh, uh, more variable, the aspects of sexuality more variable than, than people, um, may have been accustomed to. Uh, and on the other hand, it may, uh, 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 it, it uh, in some ways uh, reduces the, um, the the mystery of the body. You know, right, if, right. It can be an introduction. Uh, you know, thinking of a of, uh, uh, hundred years ago when people were all uh, buttoned up, uh, clothing covered every part of the body, um, and there was great curiosity about the human body now it's uh it's it's easy access and um so that in in some ways that could be good in some ways it's bad and one in 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 good sense it it uh, it demystifies the human body uh in other ways it uh uh it makes it uh less mysterious and uh Less interesting. Yes, so, it sounds like know, there's some just, push and pull. There's some good and bad. It's different. So why it's, orgasm? It's, what led you to studying sexuality and orgasm? Why? Yeah. Why did I study orgasm? Um, why do I study orgasm? Well, um, first of all, it's, you know, my main interest is uh, how, how the brain controls our feelings, our conscious experience. I mean, that was, that's my, um, I've always been intrigued by that. You know, uh, the, the uh, neurons are just bags of chemicals. And it's just a combination of bags of chemicals. And how does that produce conscious awareness? And orgasm is 
an intense uh, active activation of that. Um, I didn't know. I didn't start out studying orgasm. Really, the way I the, I, I sort of um, backed into it uh, because what I was interested in as a as a uh, doctoral student was a new. It was a new area called of uh, a new field called neuroendocrinology. Uh, it was a study of how the uh, the nervous system can influence the hormone system. Uh, and uh, there, uh, we, I, uh, when I did my postdoc um, at UCLA in the Brain Research Institute, there was a particular uh, the uh, the group I was I was working with Charles Sawyer in his laboratory um, was studying a case study a particular a particular case it's you know like in law uh, a case study uh, like Rosa Parks sitting in the front of the bus uh, it was a case study that triggered the civil rights movement. Um, so it has great ramifications. So the same thing in science. You pick uh, you pick some mechanism that represents a larger phenomenon. So so the the phenomenon that that Sawyer was studying that I started studying was how vaginal stimulation in rats triggers the pituitary gland to secrete uh, to stimulate the ovary to secrete the hormones that are necessary for pregnancy. So here's a a sensory stimulus that that goes into the nervous system, how does that trigger the hormone system to uh, uh, produce the hormones to uh, maintain the uterus for pregnancy? So it's a, it was a case study. And that we've studied that in anesthetized animals. I, I learned how to do brain, uh, record from, brain act, uh, from neurons in the brain and correlate it with the hormones. And when I came uh, to my own lab here at Rutgers, um, I, I continued the study, but now I was looking at awake animals, awake rats, and doing the vaginal stimulation. And I noticed that when I stimulated the vagina in the rats, they became, they froze. They became immobilized. I could push against the cervix with, the, with, the, with a glass rod, a thin glass rod, and instead of the rats running away, they would just stand there. And I could push against the cervix, and they would slide along the table without, without walking, without running away uh, so I said I tried pinching a foot and if you know if you pinch the foot of a rat it, it squeaks and it pulls his leg away and it bites you uh, <laughs> thanks a lot um, but with during the vaginal stimulation when I pinched the foot there was no squeak there was no leg withdrawal they just stood there and I could pinch as hard as I wanted and they didn't move. They didn't respond. They didn't bite me. They didn't do anything. So I said, is it because they can't move or uh, are they paralyzed or is it um, uh, because they're not feeling the pain? So I, I tested that by recording the activity of neurons, single neural nerve cells in the sensory part of the brain. And I, and I found that if I pinched the foot, the, the, these neurons would become very active. But if I did the vaginal stimulation and then pinched the foot, was no response. The, 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 that, those neurons were silent. They didn't respond to the pinch. So I said, this sounds like it's blocking pain. And I said, the only way I'm going to know for sure is by asking women. So I teamed up with uh, Beverly Whipple, who had just written the G-Spot. She, she was a co-author on the G-Spot. And uh, I invited her to do a, a doctorate with me, because she was a, a nurse. And we studied uh, we measured pain sensitivity in women during 
vaginal self-stimulation with a dildo. And what we found was that the women became extremely insensitive to pain when they applied the vaginal self-stimulation. And is the same true so, in men? Uh, we don't know. Uh, um, it's possible. It's possible. Well, we first we had to fi- I had to figure out what is the what is the sensory nerve that carries sensation from the vagina. Turns out that I'm doing uh, we, we studied I studied that in rats and found that it's the pelvic nerve that carries the sensation from the vagina. Uh, the pelvic nerve also carries sensation from the rectum, and so in re- in male rats. Well, I tried rectal stimulation in female rats and in male rats. Uh, it was kind of a heroic experiment to do this in male rats, but it does have a. Um, why was it different in male rats versus female? Why was it different in male rats versus female? very nasty when, when you try to do rectal stimulation. Well, yeah, uh, putting things on people's get, orifices it, it, or <laughs> rat orifices. Well, I'd imagine so, they get a little so upset. It's the, same, it's the same nerve, the mm-hmm. pelvic nerve. So it does have an effect, not as strong as the vaginal stimulation. It does have some effect. So it's possible that uh, the same thing would happen in men, but I haven't done that study. Hmm. Whether... whether, whether stimulating the the pelvic nerve via the rectum with but it's possible that it could have a pain blocking action but just haven't hasn't been done yet and what are the nerves that innervate the penis uh it's the um uh the pudendal nerve it's mainly the pudendal nerve it's possibly partially the the pelvic nerve so it's possible that that squeezing that the deep tissue of the of the we don't, we we're, you know we're just working on this now in in men uh, following this up in men uh, but we have some evidence that the the pelvic nerve uh, might be the uh, might carry sensation from the deep tissue of the penis the skin of the penis uh, the the pudendal nerve carries the sensation from the skin of the penis just like the, the, the pudendal nerve carries sensation from the clitoris. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, the, there, there are nerves that carry sensation from the external part of the body and from the internal part of the body. And the, the clitoris is the external part of the body. The clitoris and the penile skin is external. It's, it's called the somatic, somatic uh, uh, pathways, somatic nerves. Whereas internal, the va- vagina and the cervix, those are visceral. Those are internal mm-hmm. nerves. That's a different set of nerves. It's a very different pattern. So, I see. Uh, so uh, I wanted to know what, uh, since the pelvic nerve stimulation is producing this pain-blocking action, uh, does the same thing happen in women? Is the same nerve involved in blocking the pain in women? And uh, as in, in rats or mice? As in rats. <laughs> yeah. Um, in rats. I, I did the experiments of cutting the pelvic nerve and showing that the pain block that that effect was blocked. You can't do that in women, but there's a natural experiment in women, <clears throat> excuse me, which is um, uh, severed spinal cord, traumatically severed spinal cord from car accidents or gunshot wounds. Uh, so I studied. I got a, an NIH grant to to study women who have severed spinal cord at different levels that would block different uh, the the access of different genital sensory nerves to the brain. There are several different ones. There's a, the clitoral sensory nerve is a pudendal. The vaginal sensory nerve is the pelvic. The cervical sensory nerve is the hypogastric. Hmm. 
so there are three different uh, pairs of nerves that carry sensation from different parts of the uh, the, the genital system, and to, uh, so I was able to uh, discern which nerves were involved by looking at the w studying women who had the severed spinal cord at different levels that would block different levels, different access, the access of different of these nerves to the brain. And my most severe case was looking at women with a severed spinal cord close, closest to the brain that would block all, all these nerves, access to the brain. And the big surprise uh, was that in those women who had <clears throat> this, uh, the severed spinal cord that should theoretically be blocking all the, ac all the nerve access to the brain, they still had the pain blockage and they said they could feel the vagina. Wow. They could feel their stimulation. They were, they were more surprised than, 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 than we were because they had never tried. Their doctors told them their sex life is over after their spinal cord injury, sex life is over. And they did the vaginal self-stimulation. They could say, they, I could feel it. And, and they could they, they orgasm? Feel anything else. They had no sensation below the level of the injury, no external sensation, no internal sensation, um, no leg movement, nothing, no movement, no sensation, except for vaginal stimulation, vaginal sensation. Wow, do you have an I idea said, about why? Possible? Yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm wondering the same thing. How is this possible? How is this possible? What a miracle. So the only possibility is that the, 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 only other ner the only possible nerve, it could be the, is the vagus nerve, but classically the vagus nerve, uh, it, it uh, carries sensation from, uh, uh, goes through the body. It, it means wanderer. It wanders, it carries sensation from the lungs, from the heart, from the stomach, from the intestines, but it doesn't go farther south than the intestines. It doesn't go into the pelvic area, the classical view. I said, well, but maybe, maybe that's the only possible way. So uh, I said, the only way I'm going to know is by recording brain activity in the region to which the vagus nerve projects. It's a particular uh, uh, nucleus. It's called a nucleus. It's called a solitary nucleus in the brainstem, in the lower brainstem, the region called the medulla oblongata, uh, just just at the very base of the brain, where it, just before it, uh, the, the spinal cord enters uh, the, the medulla. And that's where the vagus nerve projects. So in order to do that, I had to uh, learn how to do functional magnetic resonance imaging to image the act, activity of the brain. And when I did that in these women, I found that this nucleus was in fact activated in each of the women. So that supported the idea that the vagus nerve is what's carrying the sensation. And do you think but, that's true in all women, or is that only true after a traumatic event that severs the spinal cord? That's an cord? excellent question. It, what I think, you know, the, the, act, the, the intensity of the blockage of pain seemed to be more intense in the women with the severed spinal cord. So I think there was some kind of compensation that... Uh, that, that there's a compensatory mechanism of that, that in the absence of the spinal cord, the vagus nerve takes on a, a, an even stronger role. I think everybody, it works in everybody, but the main pathway is through the spinal cord. But if the spinal cord pathway is gone because of the, of the injury of, this, of the severed, uh, severed spinal cord, then there's this comp compensatory mechanism. And so could these so, women... That happens. 
That is a, that, what? So this effect of vaginal stimulation having an impact on pain perception, right? So there's a vaginal stimulation creates a reduction in pain perception in the brain. And is that correlated to the ability to have an orgasm? So can they also, these women who had severed spinal cords, were they able to well, orgasm? That's the, that's the thing. That's the thing that, that I was just getting to that. You, you, you just anticipated my, my next sentence, which is that um, three of those five women with the severed spinal cord had orgasms. Did you send out a public service announcement to everyone with a severed spinal cord that you can still have sex and enjoy it? Well, well, I published that, and I've gotten a lot of publicity for that. Um, and uh, the so the thing is that this was so while I'm doing the phone, while I'm doing the brain imaging, the women are having orgasms. So I actually was this was the first evidence, the world's first evidence of where in the brain women's orgasm occurs. And is that in that the, the lower part of the brainstem where you were describing? Well, it started there. It's, it's, it, the input originated there, but it spread throughout the whole brain. And now we've, so this was, uh, I mean, this was really exciting to me. I said, you know, we, um, this is the first evidence of where orgasm occurs in the brain. Why is it such a wonderful, powerful uh, phenomenon? And let's study it some more. So now we've been studying uh, women, uh, able-bodied women, and and men also. So we have, um, and we've been publishing this, uh, where where orgasm occurs in the brain, and um, so by uh, there's a, a kind of a, a schema called uh, reverse engineering, uh, trying to put back, trying to figure out. We know what the what the physiological events are, like increased blood pressure, increased heart rate pain blockage, uh, pupil dilation, um, uh, uh, hormone secretion, oxytocin secretion. We know these things happen. Oh, and we know what parts of the brain are involved in control in those controls from other studies of just the, the physiological studies correlating with the brain. So we put it together and we're seeing that where orgasm occurs, where those where those are occurring in regions that control, for example, uh, the oxytocin secretion that increases that orgasm, the cerebellum gets activated to produce the muscle tension, the amygdala gets activated to increase blood pressure and heart rate, the the um, uh, the lower brainstem gets activated to uh, uh, block the pain, and the the dopamine system gets activated. Uh, because that activates the pleasure center, the so-called pleasure center of the brain. Uh, so, the dopamine system goes from the midbrain, projects up to the a region called the nucleus accumbens. Maybe a better that, question is what part of the brain is not stimulated when you're having an orgasm? Well, we don't find any, any major part of the brain that isn't stimulated uh, during orgasm. It, it's all systems go. Yeah. And I think the new, the, the, uh, there you know, it raises other questions. So, you know, we, we say that uh, the nucleus accumbens is activated strongly during orgasm. Uh, that's the pleasure center of the brain. It's act stimulated by, by dopamine release, and we see that the dopamine system is activated. That's, that system is, is also, the nucleus accumbens is also activated by uh, cocaine and nicotine, Sugar. caffeine, and chocolate. 
and orgasm. <laughs> so, Pleasure reward. Uh, so this, 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 but that's, this, that raises the interesting question of how does, the, what, what is pleasure to, how do neurons produce, what is pleasure? How do you explain pleasure from the standpoint of neurons? And, you know, we say this area is involved in generating pleasure, but we don't have, we don't know what pleasure, we don't even know how neurons produce pain or any sensation. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole question is raised now of how do neurons, which are just bags of chemicals, how do they produce any conscious awareness? This is a, a tremendous mystery. Yeah, that one of the big it's, ones. It's a... It's a it's a continuing mystery. So I don't know if this helps to answer 50, 000, that. What? I don't know if this helps to answer that question, but we talked about trauma to the spinal cord and the pain, the receptors um, basically still having function for sensation in the vagina for women. Now, what if it's the the trauma is in the head where that stimuli is going and being perceived? So if you have traumatic brain injury, then does that change your experience of orgasm and sex? Yes, it can certainly. It can make people insensitive uh, to uh, uh, to to um, uh, genital stimulation. On the other hand, uh, there's an interesting phenomenon in which uh, uh, people with temporal lobe epilepsy, when they have a, an epileptic seizure, they say it feels orgasmic because the temporal lobe epilepsy has the effect of of uh, generating uh, repetitive activation that spreads throughout the whole brain. And uh, they say that they have a men, these are women and men, uh, say that these these seizures feel orgasmic. <laughs> uh, there's even a, a, an anecdote, a, a published anecdote of a woman who said, I don't want to take my anti-epileptic medicine because I enjoy my seizures. I feel like, I feel like I'm having orgasms. Wow. So, so if you so, hit a so, certain part of the brain, is it more like if you hit the frontal lobe versus the temporal lobe? Or it, it hap- it, it, well, the thing is that the, the temporal lobe contains the hippocampus, and the hippocampus is particularly sensitive to um, uh, trauma, uh, to uh, lack of oxygen. So... Uh, it, for some reason, the the neurons in the hippocampus are particularly damaged by lack of ac- lack of oxygen. So a lot of cases of uh, epilepsy uh, are triggered by a difficult uh, childbirth, where the, uh, the 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 fetus's brain was deprived of oxygen, and the main part of the brain that's affected by that. Uh, temporary loss of oxygen, deprivation of oxygen mm-hmm. is the hippocampus, and the so the neur- the neurons become uh, uh, abnormally active. They don't they don't have the normal inhibitory pattern because the the inhibition is affected by the, the by the lack of oxygen. So they they become hyperactive, and that that produces the uh, epileptic seizures. And is that does that interfere with this tension release pattern that we see with orgasm? Well, I mean, it can produce it can produce orgasms uh, abnorm- abnormally mm. uh, if the hippocampus other, is damaged. If a traumatic brain injury, like a a, a gunshot wound or a, 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 a head injury accident. from yeah. a car accident, um, that can produce damage to sensory parts of the brain and inhibit uh, 
se sexual response inhibit orgasms. So it depends on uh, where where in the brain the damage is and the type of damage. I I, uh, I published a uh, a paper a couple of years ago um, about uh, the effects of brain injury on sexual response. Um, so it's 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 complicated. Yeah, I imagine. It's complicated because. Uh, the a head injury is so uh, uh, head injury, head injury and stroke. Uh, they don't produce localized effects. They have very generalized effects. And try mm -hmm. to make sense of what what parts of the brain mm -hmm. are affected. It's 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 a very uh, it's very complicated. Well, it's just so very fascinating to me that you can have a trauma as a, as severe as a spinal cord injury and still have this ability to enjoy sex. Right? It kind of begs the question: Is this so conserved? Is this do we create these compensation patterns because we're so driven to procreate? Right? And so I'm wondering: Are there other ways that we might compensate if there's a head injury, or that you might see the brain creating new pathways or some sort of neuroplasticity that would allow you to neuroplasticity. Uh, I mean, but but the thing is that orgasm, the the phenomenon of orgasm and phenomenon of pleasure, that's something that happens in the brain. Right. Uh, it doesn't happen in the spinal cord. In fact, that's a very interesting question. Of, of that that's another another uh, interesting uh, neurological question, which is. Uh, maybe may it sounds it sounds obvious, but it's not obvious. Uh, how come uh, after the spinal cord is severed from the brain, the neurons in the spinal cord uh, are alive, they're still active, and if you pinch a toe, the person with a, a severed spinal cord is still going to show a leg withdrawal reflex. There are so so the <clears throat> the circuitry. The spinal cord circuitry is functional after the spinal cord is severed from the brain. But the person doesn't know. It, it's not aware of that. It's, it's, those are, those are the, the, it's the, 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 the neurons belong to the person. The spinal cord neurons belong to the person. And they become activated by a sensory stimulus. But why doesn't the person feel it? Even though it's the, it's their neurons, as opposed right. to neurons in the brain, when those are active, they do feel it. Right. So that's another problem of why why certain neurons produce conscious awareness and other neurons don't. Um, so there are all kinds of uh, really tremendous mysteries that we have totally. We have no idea. We may come up with more questions than answers today. So I have another one for you. So the idea of, of compensation, yeah. So so it's possible to activate orgasms, uh, say here by the vagus nerve. You can get access into the orgasmic mechanism in the brain. It's an alternative pathway. Mm -hmm. Yes, because procreation is so important. As a matter of fa as a matter of fact, uh, uh, I make a point that when I've studied the, the sensory pathways from the cervix, the, 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 you know, the, the, it's called the uterine cervix, but some people call it the vaginal cervix. It's the cervix. The opening and from the vagina to the uterus. Exactly. That, the cervix is, has a sensory, three, three different pairs of, neuro, of, of nerves carry sensation from the cervix. The pelvic nerve, 
the hypogastric nerve, and now the vagus nerve. And I don't know of any other organ in the body that has uh, three different pairs of nerves carrying sensation from it, which means that it must, it, you know, there's this principle of redundancy. If one system is burned out or destroyed, you still have another system. If that one is gone, you still have a third system. Uh, when you have that kind of redundancy, you know that it must be doing something very important. <laughs> So the cervix... Keeping the species alive. The cervix has a very, very important function, and we don't even understand what the function is. As a matter of fact, what it's crazy is that the... Uh, I don't know if you, if you uh, are aware of the, the, uh, the Kinsey Report. Uh, you know, it was very famous in the 1950s. The Kinsey Report was really... I wasn't around uh, yet. It, was, it preceded the Mass, Masses and Johnson. The Kinsey Report was was uh, there was a, a major book on the sexual response of the human female, followed by another book that they did of the uh, uh, sexual response of the human male. And this, was, this revolutionized the attitudes about sexuality in the United States worldwide. I mean, this was a, a classic that just started the whole thing about, uh, you know, it's okay to talk about human sexuality, because they did all kinds of studies on human sexual response. Um, and it was it was a it was a revolution that it revolutionized the whole attitude about sexuality. This was 1953 they published it, and then Masters and Johnson followed up on it. But one of the crazy things that they that they said in the Kinsey report was that the cervix is completely insensitive to to stimulation, and it completely they they had they did studies on the cervix, on the response of the cervix themselves on over 800 women, and they themselves found that it was, it responds, it doesn't respond to uh, cotton wisp on the cervix, but it responds to pressure. In 85% of the women, out of 800 women, they said that they could feel the cervix. But they, they came to the conclusion that the cervix is insensitive, which is crazy. I, and, and the medical profession still believes now that the cervix is insensitive. So they do all kinds of procedures, they cut out uh, they, they, they cut out, uh, they do uh, electric cautery of the cervix when, when there's a, a the some, HPV, uh, like cancer. a leap. yeah. And, and they, they tell the women, don't worry, you know, it, uh, you can't feel it. And the women say after the, after the operation that they lose their libido, they lose a sexual response. Uh, this is a big issue right now. Wow, I didn't realize that. Well, even the cervix, um, when you deliver a baby, right? The, sometimes it's referred to as the ring of fire. It, the baby passing through the birth canal at the cervix is um, is extremely um, painful um, for most women if you, if you don't have an epidural. So I think, yeah, I mean, that alone would say that there is a sensation oh, in the cervix. It went out yeah. To, uh, a DNC procedure right. or a pap smear. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no question about it. But but the med the medical profession thinks that they 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 tell women that don't worry. You know, if we we will do this, you won't feel it. Hmm. So, is there anyone who can't have an orgasm? Yes, that's a very interesting question. Also, you're really uh, you're nailing. Uh, this is my next project ah. to study the brain activity in women and men who can't have orgasms. Uh, we, w w I'm, I'm doing, uh, I, I do so, I'm doing collaborative research with uh, a group in San Diego, Erwin Goldstein and Joel Kim, 
um, who's a sexual medicine and spine surgeon, uh, one of the things we're finding is that, uh, particularly in men uh, who and women, there are men and women who are anorgasmic. They 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 they're genital they're they're they they become numb. They they can't feel the genitals. And what we're seeing is that the um, the the uh, intervertebral discs, the discs, you know, the, the vertebrae, there are there are cushions between each each vertebra in the spine, adjacent to the uh, spinal cord. Yeah, it's the spine. The spinal cord is within the spinal canal, mm-hmm. but the spine itself is the bones, the vertebrae, mm-hmm. and the vertebrae uh, are uh, they have cushions between each one. Uh, called intervertebral disc, mm-hmm. and and a slip di- a slip disc, a herniated disc, yep, most a herniated people. disc yeah. or a slip disc um, with say a car accident or a fall, uh, the the disc, uh, the cushion can slip or be squashed, and uh, squash the against the nerve fibers coming from the from the genitals. Mm. And what we're seeing in, in in men and women who are numb, uh, and they they can't have orgasms because they don't have any genital sensation, the uh, the 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 the, the uh, intervertebral discs are pressing on the on the nerve fibers as they go through the spinal canal. And are there people and, who can have if they, if, if oh, those sorry. are reduced? We we cut down the disc. And, and remove it from remove the pressure against the the um, uh, the, the nerve fibers. They they their sensation returns and they can have orgasms again. And is that the only example of someone who can't have no. an orgasm? Are there people? No. Okay. No, that's that's a peripheral. I mean that that's one one way that we see uh, to account for. Uh, the lack of orgasm. Right, because you're describing that, a complex system, right? There's stimulation in the periphery. There's this this pathway to the people, brain. There's in the brain, there so there could be. People say spots. that they can they can have they have genital sensation. They just can't have orgasms. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my next project, my next brain imaging project, is to study the women women and men who say they can feel the genital stimulation, but they can't have an orgasm. Because we we know from our brain activity study so far what the sequence of activation is leading up to orgasm. So my question is, where in that sequence uh, does the blockage occur? They can presumably get sensory uh, projection from the genitals to the sensory parts of the brain, but where does it get blocked after that? Where does it? What fails to get activated, and then can we? do uh, procedures that will try to unblock that. And then we've talked a lot about the physiology. What about the psychology? It might be a little bit more difficult to measure under fMRI. uh, You're right on target. You're really really, uh, asking great questions. Um, uh, I work with uh, Nan Wise. She she, uh, now is Dr. Nan Wise. She did her doctorate with me. She's a sex therapist. And one of the things uh, she mainly worked, she asked Women and men who say they can't ex- they can't experience orgasms, uh, but they have they have genital sensation, but they can't experience orgasm. Uh, f- she first says, try to uh, masturbate. See if you can uh, have orgasms by your own stimulation, your self-stimulation, because they haven't tried that, and they can't have it with a partner. 
um, they don't experience orgasms with a partner. So she does therapy where she encourages them to masturbate and see if they can stimulate themselves to orgasm just to see if they can experience an orgasm. And in many cases, she finds that they, they, they learn how to have an orgasm. So there, there are social factors, psychological factors also. Uh, so, you Is know, there any correlation? There's virtually nothing known about that, about right. anorgasmia, what the causes of anorgasmia are. The only thing that is known medically is that um, antidepressants, SSRIs, like Prozac, mm -hmm. are notorious for inhibiting orgasms in, in people who had previously had orgasm. Because well, uh, what the SSRIs do, uh, they increase uh, levels of serotonin, and it's well known that serotonin has an inhibitory effect on sexual response and orgasm. How depressing, if you weren't already. Uh, well, it, <laughs> it's the cause, it's the price, the price that people pay for um, antidepressants. Yeah. So what about... But then there are other, there are other drugs that, can, that are antidepressants that don't have that effect. Uh, one of those, one of those is um, Wellbutrin. Right, where it's uh, not affecting the yeah, not which, affecting the serotonin. Uh, it, doesn't it, it has an anti um, antidepressant effect, but not by elevating. Uh, it works uh, on serotonin. dopamine and norepinephrine. It I elevates believe. dopamine and norepinephrine. Yeah. It's, it's a uh, it's a, res a a reuptake inhibitor of dopamine and norepinephrine. So the dopamine uh, and norepinephrine accumulate and the net levels increase, and that has a stimulatory effect on uh, sexual response and orgasm, but doesn't have the uh, negative side effects of, uh, of the increasing serotonin. Interesting. And is there a difference between the SSRIs and the SNRIs if you have norepi and serotonin reuptake inhibitors versus just serotonin? Well, there are differences. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I, I haven't really studied those uh, the different subtle differences between SSRIs and SSNRIs. Um, the biggest difference is going to be like a Wellbutrin, like something that completely yes. that doesn't touch the serotonin reuptake that's more right. on the other neurotransmitters. This is really interesting, right, because there's this huge play of neurotransmitters, nerves, neurons, these bags of neurotransmitters, as you've described them, and then also hormones. Can you talk about that interplay and the complexity there? Um, yeah, um, the... Uh, uh, the the main um, uh, hormone uh, that is uh, produced uh, that's released by orgasm is oxytocin, and um, the uh, so there's a peak of oxytocin, especially in women. Uh, in men, it's more gradual uh, in relation to orgasm. But in women, there's a peak of uh, peak release of oxytocin at orgasm. We see that, and the oxytocin is produced in the brain. Uh, it's uh, it's actually called the neuro hormone because it uh, acts as both a neurotransmitter within the brain and as a hormone. With a hormone is is a chemical that's released into the bloodstream. So uh, it's really a fascinating uh, uh, fascinating chemical. Um, the uh, so. The neurons that produce that that produce and release oxytocin are located in the hypothalamus, in a specific region of the hypothalamus. We see that that re, that hypothalamic region strongly activated at orgasm. There's a release of oxytocin, and when the oxytocin gets into the bloodstream, 
there are two parts of the body that have oxytocin receptors. And when the oxytocin hits those receptors, it stimulates muscle contraction, the smooth muscle contraction. One, one region is the uterus, that uh, the, the uterine smooth muscle is considered to be the strongest muscle in the body, in men, men or women. Excuse me a second. Bless you. Just had a respiratory orgasm. <laughs> um, I felt good. <laughs> um, so the and and the uterine contractions uh, that that when the hormone when the oxytocin stimulates the the uterine con, the the uterus it starts contracting, and women say that those uterine contractions uh, add to the pleasure of the uh, of the orgasm. It intensifies the orgasm. It's an intense, visceral, internal stimulus. Um, and then where's the other place? It also, well, the, uh, let me just finish that uh, there's, uh, there's evidence, although it's still controversial, that one of the functions of the uterine contractions is to produce uh, uh, what it's been called an insuck, that to uh, suck the semen oh. into, the, um, into the uterus. And facilitate pregnancy, and there is there's evidence to support that, although it's it's still controversial. Um, the other part of the uh, the other region, uh, the other organ that that has the oxytocin receptors on smooth muscles, is the breast, and um, the um, uh, the uh, so there is uh, in women who are lactating. Uh, when they have uh, orgasms, uh, there's the oxytocin that gets into the bloodstream stimulates the contraction of smooth muscles in, in the breast that squeezes the milk out. So women can so women who are lactating can uh, squeeze out milk when they have orgasms. Um, uh, the the uh, the typical situation is that. The uh, when the baby nurses, uh, when the baby suckles on on the nipple, that is another reflex that stimulates the same neurons in the hypothalamus to release oxytocin. So the baby the baby starts suckling, and then the oxytocin gets into the bloodstream and squeezes the the breast uh, uh, the, the smooth muscles in the breast that squeezes the milk out into the baby's mouth. Uh, at the same time, women who, during nursing say that they can feel uterine contractions because the same oxytocin <laughs> is circulating in the bloodstream and it's also producing uterine contractions. Interesting. So there's this feedback. And one of the interesting things about nipple stimulation, a really surprising thing, to me at least, because uh, we mapped where in the, where in the uh, brain the... Uh, the, the sensory input goes from the clitoris, the vagina, and the cervix. We ask women to do self-stimulation. These are able-bodied women to do self-stimulation of clitoris or of uh, vagina or of cervix. We found that they all project to, the, to a particular region of the sensory cortex, a region called the paracentral lobule. Um, they overlap. They're, they're, they go to different regions, slightly different regions, like a, a cluster of grapes. So there's some overlap, but they're all in, in the same general region, um, and that indicates that e 
each of the each of the sensory nerves projects to a slightly different region, but all in the same cluster. Um, and uh, there's uh, the map of the body, it's, it's a map of the body that, that different parts of the body go project to different parts of the sensory cortex, called the homunculus. Um, so, right, right. Maybe people are familiar with that picture, at least I remember it from medical school, where the lips are really big and the tips of the fingers exactly. are really big. That means that there are many more neurons uh, devoted to representation of the lips and the hands than to uh, uh, say the uh, uh, the uh, the leg, the the thigh or the shin, uh, that even though that's a much larger part of the actual body, there are many fewer neurons uh, responsive to those parts of the body, the leg and the and the shin, as opposed to the the lips and the and the fingers, and uh, so the uh, the the classical view is that the breast projects to the chest area on on the body map. But what we found, uh, we asked the women to also apply nipple stimulation, nipple self stimulation, in addition to clitoral, vaginal, or cervical. And we we found is that while we get an activation in the in the chest area from nipple self stimulation, we also it activated the same exact area mm-hmm. as the genital. It overlapped exactly with the clitoris, vagina, and cervix. And uh, I when I report that to my men neuroscience cal- colleagues <clears throat> they say well that's that's interesting that's a that's an exception to the um, to the homunculus it's a, it's a different you know we didn't expect to see nipple stimulation going to the uh, to the genital re- projecting to the genital region it's okay to the chest but not to the genital region and my women neuroscience colleagues say yeah obviously <laughs> <laughs> so they're not surprised no, no, um, okay. so probably because it's consistent with why a lot of women say that nipple stimulation feels erotic. Right, and it, this is consistent with the experience, right? There's there's people that report that nipple stimulation will cause an orgasm. That's right, and also That's probably consistent again with this uh, per, uh, perpetuating the human race, right? Like this is how you keep your child alive. That's dependent on you. That that has to be pleasurable, right? To keep to to keep doing it. Uh, right. I mean, that, it activates the the, you know, I think that a you know what? I think that a major function of the so-called pleasure center of the brain, it's, you know, a long time ago, the old neurophysiologists, uh, that part of the brain was thought to be the motor control area. Now, the psychologists have gotten into it, and they say it's the pleasure area. And mm-hmm. I think that there's a, there's a unifying concept that pleasure is a signal to the motor system to do what you just did, do it over again. Just keep doing it over and over again. And that, it gives us the the sensation of pleasure, but it also ensures that what is pleasurable, it gets done. So, you know, it's important for sexual stimulation to be pleasurable in the animal kingdom. If it weren't pleasurable, they wouldn't do it. Right. So it's a way of ensuring that you know, if you act, if this particular thing is important, then you have to do it again. So it's a it's a reinforcing, it's it's a motor reinforcing system. But it's also what makes you eat another bar of chocolate. Yeah, or <laughs> take another snort of cocaine, or right, another yeah. cup of coffee, or another cigarette. Right, an so, addiction. Right, that's, yeah, it's an area of addiction. Well, and, and there's sex addicts, right? Do you believe that that's a true thing? And can sure. you speak to that? 
Well, I don't know any, you know, I don't know of any uh, uh, brain studies done on sex addicts. Um, you know, it's very hard to get any kind of funding. There's very little brain, there's very little research done on sexuality. You know, it's very, very difficult to get funding because there's a lot of uh, uh, governmental opposition. You know, it's not something right. that's considered to be a waste of money, a waste of taxpayer money. But I really, I really think that if we have to understand pleasure, uh, we have to study what pleasure is just as a phenomenon because, um, you know, there are so many things that, you know, it could be the, a clue to understanding how to overcome depression. An and addiction. overcome addiction. Yeah, certainly. So we'll kind of control it in, in, in constructive ways. So, you know, I think there's a real need for it. And sexuality is, utilizes, it's, it's, it's like a, it's a good legal case study for, for studying the phenomenon of pleasure. Right. And so I'm going to go in even further down that path of things that the government probably doesn't want to fund the study of. But what about the spirituality, the, the spiritual connection to having an orgasm? Um, well, I mean, there are uh, uh, religious sects who say that they go into these uh, um, into these procedures to generate uh, orgasmic activity. Uh, the, the trances, they go into a trance and it, it feels orgasmic. I mean, um, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, when, when the whole brain, you know, people have described uh, epileptic seizures as being uh, spiritual. And, uh, uh, and orgasms as spiritual, and spirituality as orgasmic. There's, I think what, you know, normally in our everyday life, we have figured out uh, how to, uh, we, we spend our entire uh, infancy and childhood, entire lives, figuring out the difference between taste and, and odor and, and, and pressure and touch and pain we we un, we learn, we teach ourselves all all you know how to, the what's the difference between seeing and hearing and and uh, touch and and uh, taste and uh, we we have these clear silos of different uh, sensory systems, uh, knowing the difference. And there's an interesting thing, a, a phenomenon called synesthesia, of uh, where where. The different senses aren't uh, in their own silos, and there's uh, it, and uh, uh, taste has color, and color has uh, odor, and um, uh, and and it's typical in uh, in, in uh, they say in three groups of people: um, infants and children have that synesthesia; they haven't learned the differences yet, mm -hmm. uh, and artists uh, mm. develop that as a skill to be able to merge. Of, say uh, uh, music and color, mm -hmm. the blues, um, and psychotics. Those three ah, interesting. children, artists, and psychotics have are the typical people with synesthesia. But under drug conditions um, like marijuana, it it becomes uh, it's very uh, common 
that the synesthesia. Or uh, what you were describing sounded more to me like psychedelics, maybe. And psychedelics. And psychedelics. Uh, there are people who are very sensitive to marijuana, but psychedelics do that. They, they, you get the synesthesia. And so the, I think the idea is that we, the, the, uh, the a trance or spirituality or meditation or drugs break down the silos that we, nor- that we normally establish, that we have spent our entire lifetimes uh, mm-hmm. uh, developing these silos to know the difference between, uh, between say, uh, 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 a fly landing on, uh, on our skin and, uh, and uh, say, uh, uh, you know, a burn, mm-hmm. to, to learn the difference. But then with these altered states of consciousness, where the whole brain becomes activated and you break down the silos, this is what happens in orgasm because everything is, you, you don't have, we, we lose the silos. Mm-hmm. We lose the inhibition among systems and everything becomes different. It's an altered altered state of consciousness. That sounds so like a big takeaway. Orgasm it, is an altered state of consciousness. It's an altered state because it's, it, 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 the, the silos are broken down temporarily by the orgasm, by the seizure, by the drug, by, this, by the, by the uh, trance, by the meditation. So there's a commonality. This is a really revolutionary way to think about sex and an orgasm, to say this is an altered state of consciousness and that there might be this spiritual connection or this spiritual level of it, maybe, um, rather than just being about procreating or being something we should be ashamed of. It's sort of celebrated when you say that, is, is what I'm hearing. How does, how does that part matter, this way that we think about sex or the way that we approach sex as a society? I think it's basically ignorance and uh, you know, if 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 uh, it needs sunshine, you know, if we get things out in the open and talk about it as another one of, of human experiences, uh, it it takes away the um, the the mystery and and we can appreciate it for what it is, so the the good aspects of it, and and um, I think it's just uh, you know historical uh, fear. Maybe the, it, it originated from uh, you know the, the, that has to be it has to be brought under control, uh, you know maybe authoritarian control. You know sexuality is is liberating. The Puritan past. What? The Puritan past. Puritan past. Uh, Puritan past, and and you know hyper religiosity. <laughs> uh, you know basically um, uh, it. it it, it it goes against the uh, authoritarian control. You know, people are out of control if we if we let them have sexuality. So, um, but you know, that's uh, it's just another style of uh, of human activity, and you know, based on a certain kind of ignorance and and um, you know limitations and fear uh, fear of things getting out of control, um, but. You know, I think uh, with with um, you know opening it up to uh, discussion and examination, and uh, we, we can understand it just like we can understand um, other. You know, we we don't understand uh, aggression, fear, terror. Uh, we we you know, there's a, a basic lack of understanding of these powerful human emotions. 
Right. They have powerful human feelings. And that was one and of the things that you... just need to understand all that. Yeah. You need research on it. Well, that was one of the things that you mentioned is, you know, how do... When I asked the question, how, how does how we think about sex, why does that matter? And you've already mentioned that it, this doesn't... Sexuality doesn't get studied because it doesn't get funding. And part of that is because of how we think about sex. Is it important or not? It, are things going to get out of control if we talk about this in a certain way? You know, there's a, there is a lot of fear that comes into that discussion. Um, so, and this leads me to what is the missing research? We've, we've already come to the conclusion that we have more questions than answers around this stuff. But if you could have an unlimited budget and answer any question around sex and sexuality and orgasm, what would it be? Well, um, what I would like to be able to do is, uh, and we, we started to have the technology for it, but it, it would be expensive. Um, and that is to be able to see, I mean, I, I think of, an, of a metaphor, an analogy that, you know, how, how do you do this? And right what now is, you're bending your finger and extending how, it. How, how can you describe what you have to do to bend your finger? And you, you, you don't know what you have to do. You just do it. I mean, we spent our entire infancy learning uh, to associate you know, whatever it is that we're associating with what, what's, what's, what we, our body is doing. So we, could, we do that. We, we control our body in some ways. We don't know exactly, we, we can't say what it is that we're doing to do this, we just do it. Mm -hmm. So what I'm thinking is that if we, we can have the technology to be in, say, a brain imaging scanner in real time, and we show our brain activity to ourselves. So you lie in the scanner and you see your own brain activity in real time. It's like neurofeedback. It's, it's exactly it's neurofeedback, but it's it's brain it's brain image, looking at brain regions like an fMRI versus like an EEG. And can we uh, can we learn to control? Can we learn to what we have to do, say, to activate the nucleus accumbens, which is our pleasure center? Can we learn to activate that? Or is a person who doesn't, who uh, is anorgasmic because something is blocked in the brain, can we see where that blockage is and can we uh, teach ourselves to either tone down that area or increase the area, you know, somebody in chronic pain, we see the areas of the brain that are, that are uh, hyperactive. Can we teach ourselves to tone it down? Whatever it is, what we have to do, you know, in, 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 in biofeedback, uh, the, the paradigm is, uh, well, you watch some activity like sweating or heart rate or blood pressure. Mm -hmm. And there you watch, uh, uh, random fluctuations and when it go, when it goes in the desired direction you say i don't know what you just did but do it again <laughs> and you know we could do the same thing with our brain I, you know when somebody with uh, with um chronic pain uh the, some brain activity uh, say in the anterior cingulate cortex or the insula is, is hyperactive uh a random fluctuation it goes down say i don't i don't know what you just did do it again i'll do it or i'll do it again I'm going to treat it, try to keep bringing it down, or the nucleus accumbens. Somebody who say has a, a is addicted to drugs, um, 
can can they increase an area of the brain if do they increase the pleasure center will that tone down the addiction uh, or decrease the need for the drug if you can if you can activate the pleasure mm -hmm. area yourself voluntarily you learn what you have to do does that make it unnecessary to have the 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 drug that would do it that so that but that's going to take that would take time and mm -hmm. a lot of money to be in the scanner and teaching yourself yeah. and that stuff but you know that's that's my that would be my dream my dream study i love it so one more question for you around sexual health in a relationship so some people say a poor sexual health and not having sex, let's just call it that, in a relationship is the cause of the relationship's demise, and other people will suggest that's a symptom. Do you have any thoughts about symptom sure, or cause? I'm sure it's a two-way street. It's you know, both. it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a vicious cycle that, mm -hmm. you know, it could it would build on itself. You know, if if there's uh, anger at the at the partner, and you know, the, and the, the partner feels. Uh, it gets uh, angry and it, it just builds on itself. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it could go both ways. You know, one it's, of my big takeaways from this conversation is it, it's that you called it all systems go. It's all systems go in the brain. It's all systems go in terms of hormones. Everything is interrelated when we're talking about sex and orgasm. There's psychology, there's physiology, there's hormones, there's neurotransmitters, there's the, the whole nervous system. There's ups and downs. There's this this dynamic of, of tension and then release, and you need both. You can't have just one or the other. It sounds like that's almost the same answer to this question, right? It's, it's not chicken or the egg. It's not symptom or cause. It's, it's probably both. It's all systems go. It's, it, yeah, it's both. It's, it's, um, uh, and, and, you know, if you understand how it can be both, then at least you have some way of, uh, intervening and, uh, uh, you know, taking things down a notch and, and, uh, with understanding and, um, uh, communication. I think communication is a critical factor because uh, resentment builds on, uh, you know, if, if somebody, if somebody is uh, uh, um, enticed or compelled to do something that they don't want to do, then that automatically generates hostility. And right. hostility generates uh, re reluctance or resistance and that generates uh, reluctance and resistance or anger in the in the in the in the partner and it just builds on itself so uh, communication mm -hmm. what is the problem what you know what what did I do uh, what what would you like what 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 don't you like what do you like what yeah. did I do wrong what what should I do differently that kind of communication basic communication uh, can can uh, take the whole uh, vicious can, can interrupt that vicious cycle. This is another reason why it matters how we think about sex, right? Because that'll interfere with communication around it. Yeah, I think communication between partners is the essential ingredient. Yeah, it's necessary. Sounds like it. And then. I could ask you questions all day long. I have another one. Keep going. You can ask uh, all questions. right. Good, good. Um, so the difference between men and women, I've already t heard you talk about 
the difference between men and women in terms of oxytocin during orgasm. So women really respond, it sounds like, quite more, not just that it, they have the organs, they have the sexual organs, like it, the breasts and the cervix and the vagina and the clitoris that have the oxytocin receptors. Um, there's also this nervous, the innervation that's a little bit different, the pudendal versus the pelvic nerve that's innervating things. Um, I'm curious, are there other differences? I've also heard that ADH, anti-diuretic hormone, acts more like oxytocin in terms of that yeah. connection same, hormone same in the brain? neurons produce both. Okay. Yeah. I, I, that's not so well. We, the, the important thing that we, uh, that we don't understand, we understand oxytocin very well as a hormone because we can measure it in the blood and we see what its effects are physiologically on the uterus and the, and the breast. But, uh, but oxytocin, the same neurons that produce the, the, the oxytocin that's released into the pituitary gland that gets into the bloodstream, they have branches that go to other, other neurons in the brain. So the same oxytocin can be released not only as a hormone, but as a neurotransmitter. And we don't have any real understanding of the consequences of the release of oxytocin in the brain and what its, what its effects are. And that's a big, uh, 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 it is a big absence of, of knowledge. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's, I'm sure that the oxytocin is released in women and men during orgasm in the brain, but we don't know what it does. You know, and, and there are speculations that it has some, something to do with bonding, but we don't really know what that, what is bonding? What, 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 what is, uh, I mean, we know what bonding is behaviorally, but what, what is the, the uh, stimulus? What, what causes the desire to bond? We have no idea, you yeah. know. So, um, just we, we just don't know. We don't know. We don't and know can shit. you <laughs> more questions than answers? Sun is coming. I'm gonna move move this a little bit. The glare. No, go ahead. Can you speak more to this idea of ADH being uh, more influential in the male brain than oxytocin? Or I really have only heard this from a. No. I don't know. I don't no. know if there's any really good evidence of it. Okay. I mean, the only evidence that uh, I know about ADH uh, 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 is the stuff that uh, Sue Carter did of, of injecting ADH and, and oxytocin into the brains in uh, prairie voles and seeing um, uh, uh, huddling or sexual stimulation. Uh, but to extrapolate to men, I, 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 uh, I don't see it. You know, I don't. I think it's premature to extrapolate. There's not a lot there. You know, we don't even know if uh, to say that uh, uh, that oxytocin produces huddling in prairie voles. Um, yeah, they, they they huddle together. Is that bonding, or is it some some perhaps that the the oxytocin is changing their temperature regulation? Yeah, maybe they're cold. And they're cold, and they're just uh, huddling to keep to keep warm. Well, and know, what is this? I don't even know what this is. A prairie. Prairie voles. It's, voles. They're little 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 rodents. Oh, okay. I don't Vol even. V o l e s. They're the little uh, prairie rodents. So that was the original stuff on on oxytocin producing uh, you know cuddling and all that. It's a bit, even that has, is a big problem, uh, you know, with the, the evidence on that. So, uh, it. we don't we don't know stuff. Still, lots to learn. There's there's a lot lot to learn. And motivation, we don't understand motivation in general, and 
you know, so. Um, well, I hope some some people are motivated to go have sex after this conversation. Well, I, you know, I wanted to, the one thing I wanted to add uh, is um, that as we were talking, uh, you know, mentioning when you mentioned that women can have uh, orgasms from nipple stimulation, uh, yeah, that's been documented, and uh, there also there's documentation that women can have orgasms from. Um, obviously clitoral or vaginal or cervical stimulation or combinations of them. In other words, stimulation of any of these genital sensory nerves or the, the nerves from the, from the breast uh, can, can produce orgasms. Um, and what we see is when we map the, the projection of these different uh, genital regions onto the, onto the brain, we see that different clumps different groups of neurons are activated by each each of those but that means that if you stimulate them all together you're actually stimulating many more neurons and by stimulating many more neurons that's having a much more uh, powerful input to the orgasmic mechanism and so combining the different regions combining stimulation of the different regions clitoris, vagina, cervix, and, and, and nipple or breast activates many more neurons and will produce a much stronger, more complex, and probably more pleasurable orgasm. Interesting. And then what if we take the opposite? Can you have an orgasm without any physical stimuli? Can you yes. just have visual? I was very skeptical. I, uh, uh, one, of the, one, of our, uh, one of our colleagues, uh, Gina Ogden, said that she's a sex therapist. and she, This was years ago. She, she claimed that she, some of her clients have orgasms just by thinking, without any physical stimulation. I was very skeptical, and Beverly Whipple was very skeptical. So we did a study where we measured blood pressure, heart rate, uh, pupil diameter, and pain thresholds, pain sensitivity, in, uh, the, in, the, in 10 of these women uh, that Gina Ogden said can have orgasms without any physical stimulation. So we, we observed them. They're lying still, and the, they're lying still, in in the lab, and we're monitoring their uh, their pain thresholds and their uh, uh, heart rate, blood pressure, and pupils. And indeed, and we asked them to have uh, an orgasm just by thinking, without any physical self stimulation, and also have an orgasm by genital self stimulation. And we compared the physiological responses, and basically each of the responses doubles during orgasm. In other words, the heart rate doubles. Uh, blood pressure doubles, uh, pupil diameter doubles, and the pain threshold doubles. In other words, it becomes, uh, when the pain threshold doubles, it means that uh, they become half as sensitive to pain as before. Uh, you know, elevating the threshold makes them less sensitive to pain. It makes sense. So everything doubles. And in fact, we found that in these women who said that they could have orgasms just by thinking, we got approximately doubling of all these measures equivalent to when they did the orgasm when they had their orgasms by physical self-stimulation mm -hmm. so they really were having orgasms i'm convinced we were con we published that we were convinced and now we're looking at um, the brain activity in some of these women and we see that the same brain regions are uh, activated when they think themselves when they think off
Well, it makes me think of like pubescent boys, right? Like this idea of a wet dream. Can Are they having an orgasm in oh, their sleep? Yes, they're having orgasm. But, you know, the, the problem with wet dreams is that um, it's possible that they're actually getting, you know, they're rubbing on, they're, they're actually getting physical stimulation. We don't know. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. We, we don't know. But here, these women were lying on their back, you know, not moving. Uh, I actually, I asked them, uh, what do you, you know, how you, how do you do it? And um, it was very variable. Some, some women said that they, they had, uh, you know, erotic thoughts of their, their uh, lover. Uh, uh, others, uh, sweet nothings whispered in their ear. Uh, uh, but others had, uh, and others had uh, very abstract uh, uh, thinking of uh, activation of their chakras going up and down the spine. Mm-hmm. Um and others uh, said uh, they had a pastoral scene of uh, walking along the shore on a warm afternoon. So they different strokes for different folks. Uh, apparently. <laughs> Barry, it has been an absolute pleasure to have this conversation with you. I have learned so much and really, really <laughs> enjoyed pleasure, this conversation. Heather. These are so many of like the, the burning questions that you're too embarrassed to ask. Um, and, and to be able to sit here and chat with an expert about how it all works, this has just been, I'm, I feel so fortunate. So thank you for well, sharing your well, you expertise. Know, I, I mean, I, I think that we really have to um, op- open it up, you know, get the sunshine in. Yeah. These are everybody. Everybody wants to know about it, and there's so there's so much misunderstanding and and ignorance about sexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel that you know it's really important to just get the information to people, you know, and and take get get rid of the mystery and and uh, and you know it help you know and enjoy it. Enjoy yeah, it. help people enjoy experience it. more pleasure and connection. Yeah, get rid of the guilt and, mm-hmm. and all these problems. And, right. Oh, anyway, um, I'm happy to. Uh, Thank happy you for to, doing oh, your part to do that. You have. You really were right on target. Oh, You're, thanks. Uh, bullseye each time. Oh, no, good. You really understand. You understand uh, the issues and and uh, um, really, it's a pleasure. Uh, chatting with you about this. Barry, I have no doubt that our listeners are going to really value um, this conversation. And as soon as we put sex in the title, I'm sure we're going to get tons and tons of listeners. So thank you. you If if people have questions, you know, I'd be happy to answer it. Um, How can they get in touch with you? What? How can they get in touch with you? Well, I have uh, email, um, uh, brk at psychology.rutgers.com. Dot edu, r u t g e r s. dot edu. Um, my initials B R K, um, and that's the best way. That's the best way to contact to me. Ask some more questions about or sex. You, you know, or or send me if you collect questions. Um, you know, con- send me send me the questions by email, or we can have another one of these sessions. Yeah. I'd be happy to do that. You're you're really, uh, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Same, same. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for being with us for this conversation with Dr. Barry Kamizaruk. Remember, this podcast is made possible by Neurohacker Collective. Go use the coupon code PODCAST58 for an additional 15% off your first order at neurohacker.com. If you have any questions about this content, please leave them on our site at neurohacker.com slash podcast, and we'll work to get those answered on a future episode. If you like this episode, then please go leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share it with all of your friends. 
And make sure to subscribe to Collective Insights wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.